Welcome to this M2D Tech Talk. Our speaker today is Professor Gianni DeFabritis, and his talk will be titled Machine Learning Molecules. Professor Gianni is from the University of um, Pope Fabra um, in Barcelona. He leads the computational science research group dedicated to computational science and in biomedicine and machine learning, and the distributed computing project GPUGrid.net. He's also the founder and scientific advisor of the company, the technological company named Accelera, that is focused on the use of GPU in biotechnology and developing biomedical simulation methods. Thank you so, so much, uh, Professor Janine, to share this, uh, your work with us here today. And uh, without further ado, we can start. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. So uh, how do I get rid of this? Here. OK, so the, um, the title is Machine Learning Molecules. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll have two parts. In the first part, the first half, kind of do a little bit more uh, of a summary of what we've been working in the past uh, since we started working on this in 2017. And then uh, a little bit where we're going or where we'd like to go in the second part. So, okay, so the um, first, what we're trying to do, so um, we like to uh, give solution to the biological problems, so to biology. And but we do that from a physics or fundamental perspective. And the way to do that is like you can, um, so everything that here on the right, uh, can you see my? No. Yes, but you, you can use the, the red laser if you want to. Or is it? <clears throat> okay, well, if you see the, the, the mouse is fine. Then, uh, so here on the right, you have the extreme complexity that you have this uh, inside a cell. And uh, you can go and zoom in. Um, these are the scale on the right, you have scale of the micrometers and 10 to the seconds, uh, 10 to the minus three seconds and above. And uh, all of these little things here are actually protein complexes and um, which are like 10 to the 100 nanometers and uh, these faster time scales. Then you can go and isolate individual proteins here, the green uh, part here, one to 10 nanometers. And, and then you end up at the atomic level. And uh, the nice part here is that where you have one to 10 Armstrong and 10 to the nine, 10 to the minus nine seconds is the typical time scales. The nice part here is that we actually have a fundamental description of this part on the, on the left. So in theory, we could go all the way to the right. It's just a computational problem. But of course, it's impossible because you see here the complexity that we have. So the, the, the question here that I'm asking is that is machine learning the right language for this sort of complexity? And I think it is uh, for the reason that I uh, say here, uh, there are fundamental descriptions of nature here, which is exact in terms of quantum mechanics. There are also at every level, there are kind of experiments that one can do, so you have data. But practically on the left, you have uh, infinite data. So you can generate as much data as you like by just running more quantum simulation. So it's kind of self-consistent. You can generate more 
more data quantum mechanically and then kind of extrapolate machine learning model on the right, uh, which is what uh, we want to do. The, it's impossible to tend to simulate the cell at the level of quantum mechanics, of course. Okay, so uh, what uh, have we done to do this? So uh, once um, AlexNet came out, a few years later, we started to, to see if we could apply deep learning to molecular structure. Uh, this was back in the day when there was actually only uh, us and another group working on this, AtomWise and, uh, and us. And the way that we approached the problem back then, um, there was, okay, if images are uh, matrices, uh, are, are like stacked matrices, we can describe protein as, uh, as stacks, uh, stacked vector um, tensor or three-dimensional tensor. And um, one of each, each color could be some sort of descriptor of the, of the protein. This is the bottom here is a protein. So it could be atom properties of anything like this. And um, back then they were not, so when we started to do this, just 3D convolution came along in Teano. So we could actually start to do something straight away. And uh, the first kind of application of this sort was uh, deep sight. Uh, I put reference uh, down here. It just, again, is kind of a deepish uh, uh, neural networks where we take this slightly box. So this concept of three-dimensional photos, if you want the images uh, of these proteins. And the idea was to be able to predict where uh, a, dra a drug would bind. And these are these oranges part here in this picture over here. And uh, this, we were rasterizing over the structure and uh, with our 3D image and, and, and building this, this thing. So this is one of the first application that you can see around of um, um, machine learning in structural biology for prediction using deep learning. And the second application that we did was a similar network where we were trying to, predi to predict um, uh, binding affinity. Actually, I forgot to add the, the citation here. Um, so KDEEP uh, was, again, a predictor that you put in a protein in a, in a small molecules, and it would predict um, some sort of um, some aff affinity, so how much the two like each other. And this is the result on on a on a PDB bind dataset. Uh, how how well this um, um, this model was working for given uh, targets for given proteins. Uh, we did again something similar, but so this this one was a regressor. Uh, uh, here we did kind of the same, but it was um, a classifier. And again, same structure as before, but just trained as a classifier for deciding if uh, useful for virtual screening in the case that we want to see if um, the, the molecule is a binder or not, not how much it binds. And another application that we did uh, just slightly later, this time in collaboration, this was 2019 <clears throat> with Pfizer, Bangen, and Janssen was, um, an, uh, uh, so if you have a couple of molecules, how the two compares in terms of affinity. And again, this was done um, with a special architecture, which was respecting the symmetries of uh, the two pairs. Uh, so you could invert the pair and the results would be the same. And uh, we 
we applied uh, this kind of uh, tools. Uh, I think this was also 2019 in this D3R challenge. The D3R challenge is a blind challenge, which is uh, done in the, um, in the community. And practically they give you a target, in this case, base cats. And they give you <clears throat> a, set, a certain number of uh, small molecules and they ask you to predict the structure and the affinity. In this case, with these methods, uh, KDP in particular, we managed to win two of these challenges, the one in black over here. And um, so to, to say that these deep learning methods were kind of a state of the art um, already after one, two years, okay, compared to other techniques that have been available. Uh, we also worked on generative models of structures and um, this seemed uh, a very good idea. Um, there are, uh, I actually don't remember where I took this picture, so um, it's not mine, it's from a paper, but I couldn't find the paper anymore. So then the, there are two ways of the generative models. So, uh, the so in the first part, we just did deep learning, uh, classifier and regressor. Then in generative models, you can try to say, okay, let's, uh, you predict, you generate atom by atom, the molecules, or you generate them fragment by fragment, or you kind of you have some sort of reaction-based type of generation where uh, only certain combinations of atoms or, or fragments are allowed depending on the generation. So the one we worked back then was hot, were atom-based kind of things, um, which have a lot of benefits. So it gives a lot of exhaustiveness in chemical space, structure novelty and structure diversity, but they have some big flaw, uh, which is, chem uh, is they don't necessarily give valid molecules or they don't necessarily give molecules that you can make easily. And this was a major limitation. The method on the right uh, have uh, less of this problem, especially the reaction based. But anyway, you are here in the middle. So the one that I'm talking about is this atom based. And the first one we did was, uh, the, again, in 2019, it was uh, practically an in-painting, uh, so a conditional probability model where we were passing a protein and we were asking the model to kind of fill the, the pocket down here with the properties of, um, of, of small molecules. And, and so we were generating this kind of property aromatics, uh, androgen bonds and acceptor for which one could uh, um, guess what sort of pro or what sort of small molecule uh, would fit there. Uh, this is not really a generative model, this is more conditional probability, but then we used variational encoders as well. Uh, where again, from a seed molecule, we will kind of encoding a shape representation and this would give again some sort of features inside the pocket and then um, it was hard for us with this sort of representation back then to kind of isolate I mean, there are tons of molecules that fits into this shape so what we used back then was a, a captioning network to go from again from the shape which could be any sort of uh, likeness of a, of, a, of a drug to actually proper molecules in terms of smiles, which is a kind of a text. <clears throat> this was again in 2019. And um, then uh, we used Gantz, uh, which back in 2019 were also quite in vogue. And of course, now disappeared. And um, 
uh, and again, it was the same thing as before. We're giving a structure and we're like asking to predict um, properties inside the pocket, but this time with a gun instead of an autoencoder. And it gave slightly better uh, result. And again, using a captioning network to produce molecules. All of these methods have this had the same problem, uh, which ultimately uh, led us to abandon generative models, which was the molecules uh, were not useful. So these compounds, which were generated atom by atom, were not synthesizable or were not purchasable or were not even molecules sometimes. So of course, most recently there are other there are other genetic models that came out. Uh, one the, one of the most pro promising is diffusion models. The advantage here is that instead of going through voxel, uh, of course the, the world has evolved since in, in in just three years, and now is everything is atom based, so point based. So you can generate exactly the atom that you want inside. And um, practically, this is a denoising. So you start from uh, some data, and and then you add noise, and then you reverse it using uh, a reverse SDA. And um, and then you use this reverse SDA from uh, from going from random noise into uh, into molecule. This is not by us. This is a paper from 2022, but I think it's, it's an interesting one. He has the same problem that we had before. So the molecules that he generates are not necessarily useful but it generates directly the molecule. You need to go through the captioning network and so on and so forth. So I think it's, it's superior. And another interesting approach <clears throat> is to use uh, language model in a generative way. So this is uh, again, not from us, uh, it's from AstraZeneca and um, this use reaction based. So the advantage is that actually the molecules that are generated are valid molecule. And I think it's one of the most promising approach. Uh, it mixes a little bit um, a language model with uh, uh, reinforcement learning, so not too different from ChatGPT and, and alike. Uh, this was, however, in 2021, so a little bit earlier. And um, it just optimizes uh, the language model to generate um, molecules which are um, more uh, fit to the target, for instance. So it, it doesn't have a 3D structure, it's not structure-based in a sense. And the only connection to the structure is through the, the reinforcement. So through the, the reward of the reinforcement learning. Uh, however, this is really nice. So um, one of the things that we had started to work in um, reinforcement learning is that we wanted to do some sort of uh, kind of virtual chemist or acting on drugs as, a, as a, an auto, um, automata. And like in this case, an example, uh, like to imagine you have this target here in pinkish and, uh, and then you, you're, there is some automated procedure which goes and as an agent or multiple agents that goes and search for molecules validated through, um, through multiple tools. Um, and propose molecules. So it's kind of a um, sophisticated version of the generative um, models. And um, so we did this play molecule uh, AI or playmolecule.com uh, website where our idea was this is kind of the gym for drug discovery. Uh, this is kind of an example. It's still not, we're still working on it you know, because of the problem we had on generative models, um, but it's still the idea is still valid. 
Uh, we also worked on um, on improving PPO for um, for um, um, learning uh, from from examples because we thought we had several examples in the case of uh, um, drugs. And um, the thing we did here is like we used uh, important sampling, which is widely used in molecular simulation. So we use we use a very uh, a lot. Of course, PPO is just an application of that. And uh, we kind of reweight uh, re correctly to uh, integrate examples in, in a natural way in an online uh, um, method as PPO. Um, so it's on PPO is on policy, so you should you, you, it's not like SAC that you can have uh, of policy trajectory, but through this reweighting procedure, you can actually extend it. This was applied uh, in uh, Animal Olympics case where you have this. Uh, uh, this um, ball, which kind of needs to to go through the ramp, pass over here, and and eats this food over here. This was done by presenting a simple single demonstration, and and this is what PPO learned. This is actually what the agent sees, so it just uh, sees of this first first point of view uh, kind of approach. And um, again, this was just given one demonstration, then just running this PPO plus D. Um, in, uh, in it needed to move the box to, in order to enable to, to reach there. So it's kind of impressive what PPO alone can do. And again, this is uh, play molecules with all the, all the uh, different kind of uh, environments and that, that are available there. OK, so. Um, this is kind of was the recap up to like with 2000 and uh, all the deep learning, generative learning. Uh, then we started to work on uh, like uh, something closer to <clears throat> what, so we want to, to kind of machine learning chemistry or machine learning molecules in chemistry. And so we started to work on things which are kind of a little bit more uh, uh, fundamental in terms of atoms and so on. And the idea is that uh, molecular simulation has been used for a while in drug discovery, and um, the way that is usually used in this form, the form of molecular mechanics. So you have a set, a model, which is like down here, an atomistic model uh, with all these atoms, hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, and so on. And um, because you cannot run quantum mechanics for such a big system, so even worse for proteins, there, there were approximate methods which normally called molecular mechanics, where you actually build a force field um, which average out the electronics degrees of freedom. So you want cause graining the electronics degrees of freedom, you forget about all the electrons, and you just move around the nuclei. And <clears throat> on top of that, there was some other approach, uh, which was called more really proper cause graining where uh, you cause grain, for instance, an entire amino acid, which you made of many atoms, uh, by a single atom, like by just the carbon alpha. And, but it's kind of the same thing if you want. You still kind of approximate, kind of averaging out degrees of freedom, not electron ones in this case, more others, um, like even other uh, heavy atoms ones. And um, you uh, and what you're trying to build is a force field which depends on x, which are the coordinates of all your atoms and some parameters. Now in molecular mechanics, the parameters are um, kind of um, maybe hundreds to a thousand parameters. 
So there is a function, uh, fixed functional form, which I'll show later. And you have this 100 to 1,000 parameters, which you have been learned over two, three decades in order to optimize kind of microscopic property of the model up here. And then you have some, some sort of app uh, solver, no? In the case of molecular mechanics, uh, you use Newton equations, so you have a simple ODE solver. In the case of quantum mechanics, you have a PD solver, but again, we are not using quantum mechanics directly here. Um, and this is the kind of functional forms which are available in codes like uh, SMD of OpenMM, molecular mechanics code, uh, which is this is the um, called is called the Amber Charm force field. Um, and it's a closed for functional form where you're trying to kind of heuristically represent that two atoms like to stay close to each other because there is an electronic cloud up here that kind of force that, but you don't see the electron, so you force that with a simple spring. And um, and so it, and so for for angles and for torsions, and then you have some more realistic terms, which are kind of the Wonder Walls, Leonard Johns, and um, Coulomb, so charge interaction. So based on all of these, kind of any kind of molecular, big molecular simulation that you see are based on this simple form, and then you learn, you're not learning in a kind of systematic way, kind of uh, manually learning these these parameters here, k theta, k b, k phi, and so on and so forth. Okay, so first thing we did was um, think this 2021. Um, we wrote an entire uh, ND code in Torch, and uh, the advantage of doing that is that is of course slow. Um, so you take, but is as some advantage. So you take some, uh, you take your atoms according Cartesian coordinate, and then you have your classical force field, the one I showed you before. But then you can add uh, another force field, and uh, this force field could be a neural network because a neural network is kind of the optimal force field if you want. So you you have um, a many-body term where. You can capture very high level correlation between all the high dimensional degrees of freedom of all your Cartesian coordinates and ends up in a number is differentiable. So you can, um, if you choose the right, the right uh, nonlinearity is differentiable. And so you can actually differentiate through and get forces. So let's say that you from coordinate, you predict energy and then you differentiate and then you get, um, uh, on the coordinates, and then you get forces. So um, these um, these two terms at the moment coexist, no? but it's this the in this one of the first paper, one of the first network that would do that uh, is called Schnet in terms of neural network, and there is another one which uh, Annie one, which I'm not mentioning here, and. Um, so what TorchMD does, and is publicly available here, is that it allows you to mix and match these things. So it's a development tool, and it's end-to-end -end differentiable. So you can actually run some simulations and send backpropagate through the simulation to optimize your parameter or optimize anything. So it offers a lot of flexibility apart from just merging the two different um, force field. Okay, that's just what I said. So you can have force field parameter, the standard one, but you can have also machine learning potential and mix the two. Okay, once we add this. Um, yeah. Can I, I have sure. a question regarding the, the previous slide. 
um, why do you have the this other part where you kind of include the term of the ember uh, phosphate instead of just learning everything from the schlet? One one of the reason was uh, let's say that uh, you sample you have data so you need data to 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 sample the neural network and. Uh, two atoms might not get uh, in your in any kind of your data set. Two atoms don't get close enough. So you, you don't get close enough. You don't. They don't like to be close because the, the um, because of the repulsion here. So they have this very strong repulsion when they get close. And, um, and so you don't have data when two atoms are close. And what happened there is that the neural network just goes wild there. So if during the simulation you have uh, um, some sort of uh, this, the, the atom gets too close com compared to what you've seen in your training, then uh, this the thing get, just can get unstable or it can get unphysical or anything like that. So back then, uh, when we did this, uh, it kind of there was a kind of understanding that machine learning force field needed to some sort of supplement in terms of physics. And uh, it's unclear if that's the case right now. So in your in in uh, in your situation, so what you're saying it might be correct that we don't need this part over here anymore, and we just have a simple um, machine learning potential. But back then, the common approach was, oh no, we need physics, and we need to have uh, some physics embedding some physics in there. Okay. Um, one follow up question is. Um, you were saying at the beginning of the previous session that uh, TouchMD is slow, and I've, I've used TouchMD, uh, and it's quite, it's slightly slower than if you're using a phosphate that come from a chemoFFA informatics toolbox. So, um, and even the the ANI and the more recent method are also quite slow. So my, my question is, where do you see the opportunity to actually um, improve the speed of, of this kind of ML method, like ML phosphate? And do you think that we ever concurrence the classical chemoinformation phosphate? Or so I have a slide on that later, but essentially what is slow in, uh, there are two parts which are slow. There is the classical forces which are slow because although they might be computed on GPU through torch, uh, they are still a lot slower than any other uh, code implemented code. But as you say, we might be not so concerned about these things because maybe they even disappear at some point. And then there is the machine learning potential, which are slow. And the main reason why they are slow is because of Torch itself. Uh, this, um, you know, you have, uh, when you do MD, you have uh, um, maybe, you don't have a batch, you have a single, uh, molecules and you're updating this and you want to update it as fast as possible. So it becomes, uh, when you when you use a torch model like Kani or TouchMDNet or whatever, um, it's actually most of your time is waiting for the kernels to launch. There are lots of kernels that are launching and normally it doesn't matter because you just load up a, a huge batch and, and the kernel launch is insignificant. Uh, but in the case of um, MD, that that's not what you want. You want some uh, you, you want some very fast latency. So one of the reasons why these narrative potential are slow is just latency. So a way to solve that is 
which we did is to transform the model into a um, CUDA graph model. And that kind of package all the kernels into a single block and reduce all the latency, which especially for a small molecule, uh, it's a lot faster, like five, six times faster. I don't think I have the benchmark here, but currently we can get to five, 10 times slower than the molecular mechanics. So it's not too bad. And I think there is still margin for improvement, but um, let's see. So uh, <clears throat> the um, touch MD net. So um, one of the um, one of the thing that you need is some sort of representation. So you need to represent this. So you you have Cartesian coordinates for your atoms, and you have an energy at the end and you want um, a very good representation model. So mm, there was um, featureized representation models with simple neural network, sim simple multilayer perceptron afterwards, like ANI. There are like graph neural networks and so on and so forth. And um, when we started working on this, we decided to make a transformer network. And what you see here on the right is kind of uh, the proliferation of uh, models. So each of these symbol is a model. And uh, it's, um, let's say this one over here, the star um, is the first Coulomb matrix model, one of the first one. And what you see in this plot is on at the bottom, you see them. So this QM9 database is a, it's a database of 130,000 molecules, each with an energy with a quantum mechanical energy associated to that. And what we're seeing here is the error uh, on the column that you get training on X amount of data. So this this star over here is training, I don't know, in 10,000, 20,000 uh, atoms and testing on some other, sorry, 20,000 molecules and test from QN9 and testing on the others. And then of course, the more you increase the training set, so if you train on almost all the molecules, 100,000 molecules, and you, you keep the other 30,000 for test, then uh, you get this better error. Now it's a property of statistical inference that uh, this in a log log plot <laughs> this looks linear. So all these models scale in a certain way. So the more you increase the data, the more uh, the better you get in accuracy uh, with, but this, with a certain law. So the better is the model, the better is our presentation, the lower you are in these curves. So this was the first one and then the, the, the better model, better model, better model, better model, better model, better model. I think at the moment we are below the page down here. Okay, so it, it gets it got a lot better. And um, there are certain physical constraints that you want to have in this model. So uh, you want translational and rotational and permutational invariants. You want energy conservation. You want equivariance. If you rotate your molecule, the forces should not should rotate in the same way. So that should be exact. Back then, there were two methods, non-parametric like kernel methods and parametric like neural network. And initially, the non-parametric one were better. Uh, I think now everybody's using parametric methods or based now some, somehow based on neural networks. The training loss was uh, very simple. It was just um, kind of um, error on the energy, so on the, Q, the, the FT energy or QM energy compared to the neural network energy and also on the forces. 
So very simple kind of loss. And so what we introduced, um, this was published in iClear 2022, uh, we introduced this first uh, transformer model, which was state-of-the-art at the moment of, of publication. And is what we were mainly interested in was some good um, representation. So you need you need to produce good results, good accuracy, but more than anything, we, we need speed, no? because we, we want to compete with monogram mechanics. And um, this, just to give you an idea, you mentioned Annie, this is just uh, how it compares to Annie, Annie 1X model, uh, compared of our, our equivalent transformer. No? So this, the error in forces in um, both MAE and RMSE. So you see it's like three, four times better on the same data. So you train on the same data. This is just changing the representation. So I use, use visualize of the multi perceptron and we use this transformer model. Then you can take, there are now other methods which are even better. But the point is not so much to get better here. The point is actually to, to get faster. And that should be a main goal. Okay, so uh, another thing that was missing were data sets. So like this year, we published uh, this paper where we make uh, a lot of uh, data sets. This was mainly uh, through the OpenMM uh, consortium, which I'm co-lead. Um, and um, the, so yeah, we just generated a lot of DFD data for dipeptide, for solvated amino acids, for dimers, for monomers, for small molecules, ions, and so on and so forth and also integrating uh, lots of variety in terms of uh, conformations, size, and elements. All the elements, all the elements that are kind of useful in drug discovery. This the data set is publicly available and was built on this functional form. And again, some more description. Uh, another important characteristic of these data sets <coughs> that it has charged molecule. Um, so there are tons of... Um, a molecule with charges and um, these are kind of the distributions of all the characteristics. And one thing that was kind of surprising was that um, actually torch MD networks out of the box for charged molecules. So we don't need to have anything special to account for charges. So Any1X is only neutral molecules no? with spice, which are charges each on each molecule. The model is actually able to uh, get that right uh, without doing anything special. And, um, and so you, you can see that here because it doesn't matter the charge, so the charged atoms, the error across board is more or less the same. So it's not depending on the charge. And this is kind of, a, um, this paper here um, is kind of where we see we're going. So. I don't think it's possible in any short term or medium term to actually replace completely the molecular mechanics just because the speed is so much more. Uh, but it might be possible to replace some parts. So in this case, what we call neural network potential slash MM, we take the normal um, molecular mechanics force field, we take a machine learning force field and some mixed term. So for instance, you could have an entire simulation with the protein, the water, and uh, all these bits and pieces uh, treated with molecular mechanics. And then, uh, but then you have also neural network potential for the small molecules, which are not so good in molecular, in molecular mechanics. 
And this could give, uh, this you can already use now, for instance, in ASMD and OpenMM, and um, it's, it's a possible way to use this molecular, this neural network potential right now. Okay, this last bit um, is uh, how we use this machine learning in, uh, for proteins, uh, this machine learning potential for proteins as well. And um, in this case, we, we use a very coarse representation of proteins. The idea was to capture the protein dynamics. And so uh, like this could be an all atom system when you have like 50,000 uh, water molecule, uh, atoms and kind of 6,000 protein atoms. And then you need to run 100 days on a supercomputer to see something here. But if you could just reduce to a more kind of bad beads kind of uh, approximation with carbon alpha, um, then maybe you can do that in hours or days. And um, so what we work here is how to do this. Essentially, it's a force field. Again, it's a force field mapping. So how to build a neural network which learns from here and, and builds a an, uh, uh, dynamics which is correct here. So in this paper from 2019, which was um, led by Cecilia Clementi, uh, what we uh, did uh, these methods, which um, is called force matching, which has some nice characteristics. So you practically try to match the forces um, acting on uh, your beads. In this case, for instance, let's say we take the carbon alpha, we compute the forces acting on the carbon alpha on the Latin system, and we try to build an neural potential just for the carbon alpha. And then we generated tons of data. In this case, our fast-folding proteins, we generated all, all uh, more than 9 milliseconds of simulation data, uh, which is a lot. I think it's one of the largest data sets that you could get for molecular simulation. And, um, and then uh, we trained this model through, through force matching. And actually, we could get models which would fold uh, most, if not all, of these, uh, of these uh, proteins. Here you see the yellow is the, um, remember the, yeah, the gray is the crystal structure, yellow and blue. Uh, the yellow is a model which is trained only on this data set. And the blue, um, so the blue is the model that is trained all, the orange is a blue, the model that is trained only on these data sets, while the, the blue is a model that is trained on the entire data sets and it can actually fold everything. And um, another interesting, okay, this is some example of coarse grain simulation that you see that it goes up and down, it folds and folds, folds in just three nanoseconds. And um, okay, this week, how well we do. Uh, so we, we kind of re recover, apart from lumbar repressor, we recover the, the crystal structure um, within two Armstrong, three Armstrong MSD, no, apart from this one, from protein B. Um, almost everywhere. But the most interesting part is because of the way we do the training, um, we actually preserve the thermodynamics of the system. So what we're actually saying is that when you run our carbon alpha model, it actually is identical to take the all atom simulations and project on the carbon alpha. So you get the same energetics, you can same um, energetics of the, in the two cases. And you see here, like for instance, in NTL9 or protein G, and um, you have a projection of the free energy of these basings in the all model. 
and the same projection on the cost grain simulation. And you see that there are actually minima in the same place where there are minimas. Here, 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 the shape is slightly different, but there are a lot of similarity in the minima. So this is some, this is never the case in, uh, in cost graining before, which was kind of more uh, heuristically trained. So this is uh, one of the first methods that I know at least that kind of preserve the thermodynamics of the system. So it's proper coarse graining if you want. And we also try to see how much generalized outside the training set by making some mutations. This is trained only on 12 proteins. So you cannot expect that can fold 13 protein or 14 protein is trained on a very small subset of proteins. Uh, but we try to add mutations of this protein and see if it can still fold it, and it could still fold um, some of them. And okay, this is just uh, one example of one dynamics uh, on this carbon alpha, and and now it looks uh, realistic. So, I mean, if you've seen uh, all atom simulations of folding, um, this usually. Um, work realistically well. This is another one. <clears throat> so it's not just collapsing into the structure for the folder structure, but it's actually having its proper natural dynamic until it gets to the, yeah. How fast this cost grain simulation with uh, touch MB is compared to the, if I were to cost grain using traditional method into the GMD? So this, the, as you said, we fold things in some nanoseconds instead of microseconds and the simulation is kind of probably 10 times lower. So kind of 100 times, uh, 100 times uh, faster, shorter magnitude faster, yeah, something like that. But it's uh, remember it's trained on this molecule, so it's not. It's more. It's not something that you can use uh, until you have the data. So at the moment, is that can we actually build something like this? And and uh, the answer is yes. Uh, it doesn't fold protein number thirteen or fourteen or some other protein at the moment. Okay. I because see. it's trained on only twelve proteins, so okay. it's it's um, okay. Okay, so some conclusion here. Um, the, okay, deep learning has gone a long way. Uh, but in my view, it hasn't been as transformative in drug discovery yet as it was for vision and languages. I mean, it's uh, vision and language has been really mind-blowing. And in drug discovery, you can kind of survive these days without using any deep, mind, deep learning. And, um, and um, it's, uh, it's going to be fine. Uh, of course, there is the exception of alpha fold, uh, but this is more for protein structure, not so much for kind of uh, drug discovery. So uh, I expect and I hope that we can get some more disruptive results in the future. Uh, maybe one of the reasons why we cannot do that with deep learning right now is lack of data. No? For vision and languages, you have a lot of data for uh, this kind of methods. Uh, we don't have a, uh, for this kind of application, we don't have a lot. Uh, the new generative models are promising uh, as they can solve some of the initial problem we encounter in particular for, uh, for the 
no synthesizability of the of the molecules. And uh, we're really keen in seeing how this next generation molecular simulation worked out, like where you actually just simulate with a neural potential. And I think there would be, if everything worked out well, um, might actually retire the old molecular mechanics potential and, and there will be kind of a um, convergence between different methods. So in these past years, like there was quantum mechanics was one thing, quantum chemistry was one area, and molecular mechanics was one area, and kind of cross-graining, like our beads kind of stuff was another area. But now they're all, uh, they all use the same methodology. They all use the same learning. No? So we generate data at one level, then we machine learning at the next level, and so on and so forth. So there might be some nice, some nice things coming out. And um, we'll have to wait and see. And this is just um, kind of uh, um, thanks to, well, I think, try to put it along the way who did what uh, with citing the, uh, the people. And thanks to everybody for listening. Perfect. Thank you so much for the, for the great talk. I really enjoyed it. Um, if there's any questions, please raise your hand or just come off mute and ask your question. Please. Um, hello. Uh, thanks for the very good talk. I have a question on the data model use transformer. And you said the pr primary goal using transformer is to speed up. So could you explain more why transformer could be faster? So why transformer could be faster? Yeah. Okay. So um the so before we before TorchMDNet, uh there was ANI, which is faster, but is not equivalent. And there were other equivalent um representation which were not fast. So the transformer was um a way to have, and there was there was another one. Um, remember the name? Just before us, some another um, another method came out, which was equivalent. Um, the TouchMD net so just gave a way more accuracy than than that. Um, so it was kind of a nice middle point between accuracy, uh, which was state of the art the moment we we send it out, and. Uh, and um, and speed, uh, but uh, currently, I mean, there are much more accurate uh, methods in the sense of better representation. But I would trade some of that uh, accuracy for speed, to be honest, if I could. Okay, I, I thought transformer would be like using more matrix multiplication, so that yeah. should be more. Yeah, but the other one use. Um, Spherical harmonics, which were even slower. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Any other question? Um, I have one question about like the the generative work that you have been doing. Have you tried to um? Kind of in the the 
to have a reinforcement learning loop at some point. I forgot the name. It was play molecule AI. Play molecule, yeah. Have you tried to, to use that with like the uh, the reward being, for example, the um, the FEP of or kind of the, the, the ligand with the, the protein or some sort? Yeah, that's kind of what the LibreInvent does. LibreInvent does. Mm -hmm. So you can have some sort of uh, FEP may be a little bit slow, but you can um, you can do other faster way. So score and give a reward and then a loop through. But that's the idea, yeah. That's what we are doing something like that right now. Okay, I see. And does that matter? The does the accuracy of the of the method that the reward matter? Like the accuracy of the noise, like in the reward, does that matter much or I haven't seen any device? For the scoring function. Yes. Well, of course, if it's inaccurate, you would end up with wrong molecule. Uh, so um, the um, you know, it's every time you make a molecule, it costs a little, and then uh, then it costs a lot of time. So if you have any enrichment, there is is nice, but you so if you can if you can avoid make molecule or just make molecule which are more likely to to be good then it's already good. But of course you want um, scoring function which are, which are, which are good. It's, um, I don't know exactly how this, how the accuracy, so what level of accuracy is required to give some benefits? Do you need uh, a method with good 0.9 correlation, 0.8 correlation, 0.7 correlation? I think 0.7 would, Intuitively, I think 07 would already be good, but I don't know. Okay, I, I think that that was exactly my question. Like, what the, the actually the level of accuracy, like correlation with the, the two ground truths, to actually be useful. Um, okay, thank you so much. Um, okay. There is a question in the chat. What was the reason for the increased dynamics? Uh, Anderson model for the nanosecond instead of microsecond in the ML. Sorry, what is the reason? Uh, Ricardo, do you mind maybe coming off mute and ask a question? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for the nice talk. Yeah, I had a question about the machine learning protein folding at the end. So I was wondering what's the reason for the increased dynamics? I understood you said did the proteins fold on the nanosecond scale instead of ah, because you, because you you flatten the you have less degrees of freedom everything is faster so it's you know, every, like okay so it's the kind of normal coarse graining reason let's say yeah yeah, yeah it's a normal coarse graining reason the only difference compared to any norm other coarse grain like martini and so on the only difference is that uh, we learn a force field which is which preserves the thermodynamics explicitly Right, right. Okay. Yeah, but maybe that misled me because I thought that um, not the I dynamics. Made... So the kinetics yeah, yeah. would be different, but the term thermodynamics would be the same. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, thanks. Cool. Um, one question from Abdik. Um, have you done any affinity prediction considering water molecule in the pocket with K deep um, or something similar? 
KDIP uh, predicts affinity. Yeah. So we put water molecule in the pocket. Yeah. So you put your you, the inputs is a protein and a molecule in the pockets, and it predicts the affinity. Yeah. But what was the question? I, ah, water molecule. Ah, no, no. We did something with water molecule, but it did not improve uh, significantly. But again, you have so much, you have so little data. And then sometimes, sometimes like you have data, you have waters in the crystal structure. Sometimes you don't, so uh, you cannot, you cannot just sometimes put it, sometimes don't, don't put it. So it's kind of noisy and um, intuitively it should be better. In practice, it didn't improve much, but um, so we don't put it at the moment, but um, it's something that, yeah, we tried. Perfect, thank you. Um, question from Kong. Could you explain how energy conservation poses a physical constraint for molecular encoding model? For energy conservation for molecular encoding? So, yes. For KDIP, there's no energy, so there's not a, any conservation there. But for a force field, uh, yeah, you want, yeah, for a force field, uh, physics says that uh, in, in a, an isolated system, the energy is conserved. So you want forces which have certain properties. And uh, a way to enforce that by construction is to predict an energy instead of predicting the forces. So if you predict an energy and then you compute the forces as a gradient of that energy, then you guarantee that the force field that comes out um, as uh, a is a conservative force field. If we were predicting directly the forces, it would be nicer because um, it would be faster. You don't need to back you don't need to back propagate on the on the network, uh, but it would be hard to impose the conservation in the field. So there are some attempts by penalizing the the rotor or whatever in the in of the in the for of the forces in the loss but is not uh, exact no while if you just predict the energy and do the and do the gradients you are guaranteed to have a, a a correct force field in terms of energy conservation if that answers the question i think so thank you um <clears throat> One last question for myself. What do you see as the, the next step to move like this field forward? Is it more modeling, more data? What's, what's missing to unlock, like to reach this transformative um, ability of ML in PZ based on injury discovery? Well, an easy one would be more data, but it's not easy to, to get more data. And um, so I don't, I don't know if more models. I mean, I think accuracy, the representational accuracy of the model is is already beyond what's necessary. To from my point of view, uh, we would like faster model, and um, the um, one way to generate as much data as you like is QM. So that's one way to be transformative, no? so focus on that area. And in that area, you know you can generate as much data as you like and uh, hoping that the, the emergent behavior then is super accurate. Um, 
that's our hope. But for drug discovery is, um, I mean, there are a lot of tools. It's just, um, they're not like, like chat GPT, no? that you're like, well, uh, it's kind of, maybe they win some challenge like we did, but you know, it's, the other ones want some other. And maybe like in a, like give an example in a, in a challenge that I didn't show, which was a log P prediction, which is one of the characteristics, physical chemistry characteristics of a molecule. Uh, we won with XGBoost. We got second in, the, in a statistical indistinguishable in for first with XGBoost, not with the deep learning method. So uh, yeah, the, the, it still produces things which are, but it's like you can train KDEP on 5,000, 6,000 data points. That's all we have. So it's, if we had five, six million, I mean, maybe there would be a difference. 